listen, we started a new series last week called After. And this series is seven weeks of heaven and hell and whatever else is waiting for us on the other side of this life. And I think there's no more important subject to talk about any time, really, but especially at a time like this, when it feels like more than most seasons, this one is, it just has our mortality staring us in the face a little bit. And we're thinking about deeper things, higher things, more important things. And so every week of this series, we're asking a different question. Um, this week's question is, will we be held accountable for the things we've said and done? Will we be held accountable for the things we've said and done? It's a fun question, right? Kind of intense for an early Sunday morning, but let's dig in and see what we can learn today. Uh, last week, John Burke got us started. He's a pastor in Austin, and he shared a, a message with us from his church there. Uh, he recorded this message and sent it to us, and he talked about near-death experiences. He wrote a book about it, a bestseller, uh, New York Times bestseller called Imagine Heaven. Some of y'all have read this book, and, and he talks about the stories, hundreds of stories of people who have died clinically, passed away, and then we're brought back by a doctor or a, or a first responder, and they come back from that experience with stories from the other side of life. So they come back telling all of these stories about things that they saw, people they saw, and, and what happened um, in the afterlife experience that they had before they came back. And I shared with you all last week that I didn't buy it. Um, for most of my adult life, I am a skeptic, and for most of my adult life, I I chalk this up to junk science and just the, the kind of exaggeration or, or wishful thinking that people will do whenever, you know, we're faced with mortality. Well, uh, John's book changed my whole perspective. There's just too much evidence and too many corroborating stories and accounts to ignore. Not only from the hundreds of people who've had these NDEs and one out of 25 Americans has had one, but also from medical professionals, doctors and nurses and, and other scientists and specialists who have um, told their own stories corroborating these. And there is just no way that these people come back with the knowledge that they come back with if their consciousness had not continued beyond brain death. And I know it's a shocking thing for some of us who are more you know, scientifically minded or, or, or intellectual or whatever to think about consciousness continuing beyond what we call life. But clearly it does. In some way it does. Um, and there's too many of these stories, I think, to just ignore. And so um, today we're going to talk about another facet of these, of these stories um, that people come back with. Um, many of these people tell uh, stories of experiencing a world that is a physical world, but it is magnified. It, instead of just five senses, there are 50 or more, and everything is bigger and louder and more beautiful, and, and just it's hard for them to come back from that and adjust to life on earth, um, and because it's just a, 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 such an incredibly sensory overload kind of experience. Now, some of these folks also talk about passing through a tunnel of light or some kind of a passageway, and on the other side of that, there's like a welcoming committee of familiar faces, people that they knew in this life that had passed before them, welcoming them, and then, and then about almost one-fourth of these folks say that they had some kind of an experience with God that included a life review. It's something they call a life 
review that has been discussed not just in theological books or Christian books, but also in scientific journals. I want to talk a little bit about the life review today because I think these experiences inform our response to the question, will we be held accountable for the things that we say and do? So what is a life review? A life review is, um, if you have one in a near-death experience, it is easily the most impactful part of your NDE. So the people that have these come back talking about the life review first. And what it is is basically a movie that is played for you of your life. And you know how um, the adage goes, I saw my life flashing before my eyes. Um, That's kind of what happens, but it feels like panoramic, kind of like all at once. And you don't see every single part of your life, but you see a lot of the highlights of your life playing out before you. And uh, it is an incredibly impactful um, replay of your life. Um, These experiences that are replayed for you are often interactions with people, but instead of your point of view, you see these interactions unfolding from the point of view of the other person. So you understand empathy then. You're able to know how the words you spoke landed with them. And you're also able to to witness the ripple effects of your actions and your words as um, someone is impacted for better or for worse by your actions and words, they go and pay it forward that way that way. And so um, it it can be a a really convicting thing if you've broken someone's heart or hurt someone's feelings or whatever to see how that can play out. And finally, and maybe most importantly, people that have these life review experiences with Jesus or with God say that they come back sure of one thing, that their sin, their willful sort of disobedience to God, it, it breaks God's heart. It hurts Jesus. It causes him pain. And they come back knowing that they can't continue living the way that they've lived because they experienced his love in such a complete way that they cannot remain the same. The clip that um, we're about to play for you is part of a video curriculum, video-based curriculum that John Burke put together for like a thousand small groups that are meeting in Austin online. And we are the first church in Houston that's offering this um, uh, curriculum as well. And starting this week, we have a bunch of groups that are going to be launching online. If you haven't gotten connected yet, please do that today. The story.church slash groups is the easiest way to do that. It's a great way to stay connected with people, get to know some new folks and make some new friends. This is the uh, uh, curriculum that we're going to be studying. We wanted to give you a little bit of of a taste of what's in store for our groups as uh, we look at what some of the folks John interviewed said about their life reviews. My life flashes in front of me as big as the sky. And it was right then and there, God and I began to look at my life. One of the most life-changing aspects of this experience for many people is what they call their life review. They watch their life replayed in this panoramic vision of every scene, and they see the ripple effect of their little acts of kindness or the things that weren't so kind. They come back knowing that how we treat each other, how we love each other, that's what matters most. My life was laid bare for all its good and bad. And Jesus was showing me this and saying, look at how that event impacted this person that impacted that person that impacted that person. 
22.2% of near-death experiencers have a fascinating phenomenon known as life review. At this time, they may see a part or even all of their prior life. It's often described as flashing before them like on a screen. I saw an image that flashed into my mind, and I was 11 years old, and I was kneeling at a uh, church summer camp. Man, I was sincere. I was reliving every moment. It was almost as we were watching the film of my life. And everything I had did in secret and open, good or bad, everything, every detail of my life was flashing right before me. I'm seeing these, these moments from my life, like I'm watching them. And it was the moments I had with my dad growing up, throwing the football, just being a kid, just a son and his father. All right, so that's a little taste of what's in store for our small groups. And it also um, helps us to understand the, the depth of emotion that we're dealing with when someone has one of these experiences. And you heard in there, it's, it's um, a mix of pleasant memories and, and painful ones. I mean, it's not entirely just a, a heavenly experience when you sit before God and replay the movie of your life. Like, that's a, that's a pretty scary thought for many of us. And I think it's it's really surprising when Christians, especially when we Christians who are trying to follow Jesus, when we realize that life reviews are for everyone, <laughs> that everybody is going to sit and watch a movie of their life with Jesus and talk about it. Like, many of us became Christians to avoid exactly that. <laughs> Some of us became Christians as sort of a fire insurance policy against that. Like, that, you know, going to church, becoming a Christian was like our get-out-of-hell-free card. And we thought we would just bypass the line in heaven and like, like a Disney fast pass and go to the front where Peter has our name in a book and we go right in, no questions asked. And here, it seems like from these near-death experience testimonies and witnesses that, that Christians, just like non-Christians, are subjected to this life review process. Well, it's one of those funny things, like it shouldn't come as a surprise to any of us because it's been in the Bible all along, specifically in the New Testament, evidence for, they don't call it, you know, life reviews in the New Testament, but there's evidence for this phenomenon happening, and, and, uh, and Jesus says it with his own words multiple times. I mean, I'll share a couple of these um, passages with you today, but just know that there's more than just these. The first one is Luke 12, 2 and 3, where Jesus says, hey, there's nothing concealed that will not be disclosed. Or hidden, that will not be made known. What you've said in the dark will be heard in the daylight. And what you've whispered in the ear of the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. So, the day will come when all of us are called to account for what we've done and what we've said. It's a little scary. I know, it can seem a little intense. And it can seem a little confusing, as I said, for Christians. You know, if, if, if grace is free, salvation is free, forgiveness is free, then why should I be subjected to this process? I don't want to sit down with Jesus and look at my lowlights. Like, can I have my own editor for this film, please? Can, I'd like to crop my own highlights <laughs> out of my film before Jesus sees it, if that's okay. You know, that's not how it 
uh, it's going to work, all right? So um, there's this other defining feature in, in these life reviews that line up with Scripture as well, and you see these in Jesus' words uh, as well, this phenomenon of, of these events that we review with Jesus being almost entirely relational. So the people that have these experiences, they'll come back and they're like, uh, the stuff I cared about, it, Jesus didn't put it in my movie. The time I won that award, the accolade, I got that promotion, the stuff that I'm most proud of, he didn't even put it in my film, and I wanted him to put that stuff in my film. Instead, what God showed these folks is are, are the interactions, the relationships, and how um, some of the interactions that we have impact people um, other, you know, uh, other than ourselves and, and how our words and our actions affect others. Um, and, and this is also corroborated in um, the New Testament. Um, the questions that are raised by these facts is, are like, uh, do I only worship God in public? Or do I worship him in private too? Do I only say good things about God in public? Or do I say good things about God in private too? And the same is true about people. Do I only, am I only nice to people in a visible way? Am I, do I only love people when it's uh, self-serving, when it's convenient? And these questions come up again and again as we ask this uh, question about our accountability. And, and Matthew 25, you know, it's famous uh, passage where Jesus says, one day on the last day, he, Jesus, the Son of Man, is going to separate us into two groups. He's going to judge us one at a time. And the defining characteristic that will mean you go this way instead of that way is your, is your heart. It's your love and concern for other people. Jesus says, the only ones that really know me, the only ones who belong over here are the ones who, when, I, when they see a hungry person, they feed them. When they see a thirsty person, they give them something to drink. When they, they, they care for the stranger, the refugee, the naked person that needs clothing, and the, the, uh, the, the person who's sick, the person who's in prison, they look after them, they visit them. He says, that's how I will know that you belong to me. There's that accountability. And this is a really tough thing to talk about when we're all quarantined, right? Because one of the things I know a lot of guys, especially women too, are struggling with is just this feeling of uselessness. We're all just holed up together, and there's not a lot we can do to visit the sick and care for each other and look after the most vulnerable. There's some ways, and the story's active in those ways, but largely we feel useless. Well, there's another side to this that's also important. Aside from our actions and what we're doing for other people, the Bible says, and the New Testament says, that what we say matters as much, if not more, than what we do. The words that we say, the words we choose, the things we declare with our mouths about God and other people are every bit as important as the stuff we do. This is a tough one for us. All right, so another example of this from Jesus himself is Matthew, 60, or Matthew 12, 36 to 37, where Jesus says, I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word that they have spoken. For by your words you'll be acquitted, and by your words you'll be condemned. Yikes. I, I don't like that. <laughs> it's easier to measure ourselves by our actions right, than it is by our words. So why does Jesus say that our words matter as much, if not more, than our actions? It's because our words reveal something about our hearts. 
Now, we can go around, you know, doing good things so others see us, but the words we say when we walk away, you can serve a meal to the homeless, but the words you say about the people that you serve or to the people that you serve, they say more about your heart than the action does. And this is something that's all over the New Testament. It's, it's just, I think it's, it's hard for us to talk about, you know, and, and the fact that we hear so little about the power of our words in churches, in spite of the fact there's so much in the New Testament, I think it says it just hits too close to home because it's scary to think how words can reveal what's really going on in our hearts. Jesus' half-brother James wrote a diatribe about this in chapter 3 of his book um, in the New Testament called James. This is chapter 3, verses 3 through 10, and he talks about words with the use of the, the analogy or metaphor of the tongue, right? So when he talks about the tongue, he's talking about your words. He says, when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it, make, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, and reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed but have been, uh, and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With a tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. So the revealing part here is that not only do our words say what's already going on in our hearts, but according to James, uh, our words can um, inform, inspire, or plant seeds in our heart. And so it works both ways. Your heart is revealed by the words you choose, and the words that you choose can either encourage or discourage your heart. It can send your heart toward the light or toward the darkness. That's the power of your words. That is why we say it's important to worship God even when you don't feel like it. Even when you don't feel the words, when you say the words, they nourish and nurture your heart to a place of worship again. That's why it's so important to tell the people that you love, that you love them, instead of just letting another day pass without telling them. Because it really can make you understand, and not just them, but your heart can understand the power of love when you speak these words. That's the power that words hold. The words we speak, the things we say, have so much to do with the way we're going to be held accountable later uh, on that last day when we stand before Jesus. If there's somebody that you think maybe you misspoke to, somebody who might have even heard you wrong, or if there's somebody that you intentionally went after with your words, make it right. Make it right today. What else are you going to do? It's Sunday, and we're on lockdown. <laughs> Take this opportunity Reach out to them, send that text, make that call, send that message, and make it right. 
reconcile with those whose words, um, with those you, with your words, you have offended. All right. So we know we're going to be held accountable for the things that we say and the things that we do. But what does it mean exactly for those of us who follow Jesus? If judgment day is for everybody, then what difference does it make whether you're a Christian or not? Late last year, uh, so uh, I got really sick. And this is the part that I don't really want to talk about, but... um, Geo encouraged me, and, and I do think it's important. Um, but I got really sick late last year, pre-coronavirus, don't worry. And, um, and I was out for two weeks. It was as sick as I've ever been. I had 103, 104-degree fever, uh, just terrible pain throughout my body. I arrived in pain all day just in bed. I couldn't get up and go around, walk around anywhere. I had migraine headaches constantly and uh, couldn't keep anything down, just kept throwing everything back up. I just got weaker and weaker. I kept dropping weight. Giovanna kept dragging me to the doctor who kept saying the same thing. It's just a virus. You need to let it run its course. We waited past the time that it was supposed to take for a virus to run its course, and I just kept getting worse. And toward the very end, he finally gave us some antibacterial stuff, and and, uh, I was... uh, I was able to get back in the game. But in the last three or four days of that two-week period, when I was completely weak, on my back, nowhere to go, I couldn't do anything, couldn't even string a sentence together, I was just out of it. Some things happened to me, all right? A series of events took place that I want to make sure I'm clear. I'm not saying this was an NDE and this was not like a life review. It's the closest thing I've ever had to anything like that, but it wasn't quite the same. But it was one of the strangest, most impactful experiences of my life. What happened is I, I couldn't stay awake. I was sleeping 20, 21, 22 hours a day. And every time I would wake up and go back to sleep, I would slip into this other place. And I know it's weird. And the reason I don't want to say this is because you're going to think I'm weird now, but I got to tell you what happened. Okay. So I I would slip mentally into this other dimension. I was still in my house. It just looked different around me. Okay. I could see things, perceived things and people around me that I, that weren't there when I was awake. Okay. And then the first vision that I got, there was a series of visions, and the first vision that I got was of a pestilence in my house, these giant bugs crawling in lines up my walls. And those of you that are Houstonians are like, those are just the, <laughs> those are just the roaches there, the tree roaches. No, it wasn't those. They were even bigger and nastier. All over my house, all over my walls, crawling in lines. And we had just moved into that neighborhood, just moved into that house at the time, and so I thought maybe it's a neighborhood problem. I went to the neighbor's house next door and I asked the guy, this is in my vision, right? I asked the guy, um, do you know anything about these bugs that I keep seeing all over the house? And he looked at me with this serious look on his eyes and he said, the problem is inside your house. Go look in your crawl space. And I know this was part of the vision and not real life because I don't go into the crawl space in real life, but in the vision I did. And I opened the thing and there it was, the nest of this pestilence. And, and I know it's a little bit vague, but I knew then exactly what God was telling me. He was telling me, Eric, while you've been out telling everybody else how to fight their battles and, and helping everybody else spiritually, a, uh, a spiritual war has been taking place in your own house, under your own roof. And it's time you pay attention. And so the first vision that I had was kind of a, 
was kind of a wake-up call. It was kind of a, a warning. And it was a shock to me. It was so vivid and real. And the visions from that point kept getting more vivid and more strange. They all made sense to me, but when I tried to explain them to Giovanna, she, she was like, that's really strange. I'm not going to go into detail about the other visions. I just want you to get the idea that they were increasing in intensity until I was just exhausted and I was to the point where I didn't want to go back to sleep again because the moment I did, I would slip back into that place. I know this sounds crazy. I just got to tell you what happened. The last one, right? The last one was uh, I slipped into that place and instead of more, you know, bugs and demons and um, craziness, it was just this peace. And in the last one, there was just a voice. And it was the first time in my life I've ever audibly heard a voice that I knew to be God's voice. And all that he said was, I want more. I want more. And again, I know it's vague for you, but I knew exactly what he meant. Because I was well aware that ever since I came to faith in Jesus seven years ago, I've given him almost all of me. I'd say a good 97% of me is his. <laughs> but he wanted the last 3% too. And I knew he deserved it. He wanted that last 3% that I was holding on to, that desire for control, that desire for praise, all those idols that I held back from him. He wanted those too. <laughs> and then he took me through this like series, it was, this part was like the life review. He showed me things in my life, times that I had missed the mark. And so he showed me something about my father. And I love my father and he loves me. He's been a great father. We've had our rocky moments here and there. And he showed me how those rocky moments weren't his fault. They were every bit as much my fault as his. And he showed me how I could have loved him different. I could have said words that I didn't say. I could have not said words that I did to show him that I love him, to show him what a good daddy's been throughout my whole life. He showed me things in my past with my wife, and I love Giovanna, and she loves me, but we've had our rocky moments, and I've betrayed her, and I've done her wrong at times. Like, every marriage has these issues, but I knew as he showed me these windows, these moments, there were things I could have done and said that I didn't. Things that I did and said that I shouldn't. And he showed me all of this. And he didn't stop. He went on to show me other things. He showed me like, and this is uncomfortable. I'm sorry, I'm just going to say it. But he showed me like the, my part of my past with pornography consumption and the problem that I had with porn. And he showed me the effect of that not only on me but on the women in particular, who were harmed by my complicit consumption in this system, this industry that just perpetuates this cycle of pain and suffering for these girls, these women, these daughters of God. And God looked at me and said, how could you? How could you? My daughters, how could you? And that cut me to the quick. It just opened me up because I knew how much I had hurt not only the women, but I hurt God, who was just unadulterated love in this moment. 
God, but I knew, y'all, I knew as this was happening that he wasn't showing me all this filth of my past. He wasn't showing me that because he hated me. He was showing me that because he loved me. He wasn't showing me that so he could judge me. He was showing me to teach me, y'all. He was showing me to teach me something. He was showing me because he loves me. He wasn't showing me to send me to hell. He was showing me to prepare me for heaven. And I'll never forget, I, I just, I knew in that moment that there was nothing after that that could be the same anymore. When you experience the power of God's love like that, it just, it's just unthinkable that you would want to hurt him again. At the end of that whole ordeal, I still wasn't well yet, but I knew after two weeks of being out that I had to get back here to the story. And uh, against the advice of my doctor and against the advice of my wife, I came here on a Sunday morning to preach a message, and I, uh, she made me sit down. Remember that whole, like I had to sit down the whole message, and I agreed, and I did. I was a good boy. But uh, if you were listening closely, you probably heard how wrecked I was by the experiences I just shared with you that had happened in the days prior. And in the clip you're about to see, it's the closing prayer from that message. And you're going to see me frail and pale, and you're going you're to hear me trembling in my words because of how shaken I was by this experience with God. Would you pray with me? Jesus, Jesus. There's nobody like you. There's no other name like yours. There's no gospel like yours. There's no offer we've ever received that comes anywhere close to the one you have proposed. God, I pray that we would just breathe in your spirit right now. Breathe in your forgiveness. Breathe in your mercy, God. Your mercy. Mercy, mercy, mercy. Lord, how could a love shine so bright to shine through every darkness, even mine, without asking anything in return? Father, Father, help us to see even when we've lost our way a thousand times. I am a child of God, a child of God. My identity lies in you and nothing less. Lord, give us courage just to say yes in this moment to you, to build our life around you and no one else. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Right. So uh, I brought Pastor Gio out for the last uh, 10 minutes of this, uh, of this message because you're the only person that uh, I had ever shared this with, and I shared even more with, with you, obviously. But um, I just was curious to get your thoughts, and I think it's good for other people to hear your perspective on this um, with everything we're talking about, afterlife and accountability. 
What was what is your memory of the days uh, I guess following the events that I just described uh, in the message? Um, well, thanks for having me. Um, the thing I remember the most is uh, thinking this is real. Um, you are um, like the rock of our family. I've never seen you. I've seldom seen you cry in our lives, like literally in the years, 20 plus years that we've been together. And whenever we sat uh, on that porch and just uh, talked about this experience that you've had, you were sobbing. And I knew that something significant had happened. And I felt that uh, this is something that doesn't happen every day and it doesn't happen to everyone. So the first thought that came to my mind was, I don't think your life is ever going to be the same again. And um, I'm saying this, uh, anybody who knows us knows that I'm the mystic in our relationship. I'm the one who always talks about the afterlife. I'm the one who always talks about hearing God's voice. Um, so for me, it was a strange situation um, yeah. that you had experienced. Yeah, no, it really was. And and again, like the, the overwhelming sensation that I had um, wasn't that he was there to, to judge me or doing these things to judge me or condemn me. He was judging me. He wasn't condemning me. Um, it, it was a conviction without a condemnation, you know? Right. It was like a summons without a sentencing. It was, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, um, but it could have been a sentencing. I feel like that was still a possibility. If I had come right. back unchanged from that, right. if I had come back just and, and gone back to doing the stuff I had done, or I'd come back like nasty to you or something for whatever reason. And, or and you went back to the things that were you were doing before. Absolutely. Right. That, that could have brought judgment down on me for sure. Right. Um, but, you know, when you're changed by the love of God, like you don't want any of that. Now, there's still temptation. There's still like, but what, what you come away with in an experience like this is just the utter urgency, the urgency of the spiritual stuff, right, right, that we're always talking about. How do we help people understand the urgency of these spiritual battles in their That's lives? That's right, and I think that, um, that um, Christians kind of underestimate um, that urgency. Totally. Um, we tend to... Um, set aside things that are spiritual or conversations that are spiritual at times because we just want to uh, live in the here and now. Right. Uh, but I think the enemy would have us uh, forget about those things that are so essential to, to who we are. Right. Uh, there's always a battle of good against evil. And I think the enemy wants to blind us to those spiritual realities. I think that now that we're going through this COVID-19 thing, a lot of those things are going to come to the surface because we have more time than ever before to think about um, what's going on on the inside. It really right. struck me whenever you were sharing about how it, it was calling you to deal with something on the inside, That's right? right. Yep. And I think that we have um, opportunity more than ever before to react either with, uh, you know, the darkness or worry or to call, call out for God's peace. Mm. We can... Um, decide to worry only about ourselves or to worry about other people. And I think those battles are waged every single day. Every day. And there's always a spiritual component. Right. Um, so the question that we set out to wrestle with today was, will we be held accountable for the things that we do and the things that we say? And I guess the answer is yes, um, you will. Mm -hmm. It's probably not what you think, or it might not be what you imagine that scene to look like, but every one of us will be held accountable. Mm -hmm. held to account for the things that we choose to say and the things that we do.
The good news is when you give your life to Jesus and you trust in his love and in his promises, um, there might be a reckoning at the end of days, but there's not recompense to be paid because right. he has paid it all. We're going to revisit that theme again this Friday with Good Friday at 7 p.m. You know, it's like that's going to be a reminder again that Jesus paid the price you owed on the cross, and that's it, and that's the good news. That's the difference that it makes to live in his grace and receive his gospel and his mm -hmm. promises for yourself. So if that's kind of where you're at today and you're feeling that, it's a time for you to receive that grace and stop playing games and stop just being religious and finally go in with Jesus in preparation for that day when you too will be held to account. It's really, it's really quite simple. All you have to do is pray a prayer and say, Jesus, I'm ready. I receive you as the Lord of my life. And I'm still going to stumble. I'm still going to fall. But I trust your grace will be sufficient for me. Pastor Gio is going to uh, close us um, with prayer. Thank you for joining me for the last part oh, of this. Happy um, to be here. Yeah, anytime you want to come up and close a sermon with me, <laughs> you're more than welcome to. Yes, I will do it anytime. Would you pray for us? Let's, uh, let's go to God in prayer. God, I thank you so much for opening our eyes to the spiritual realities that we encounter every single day. I pray today for all of our brothers and sisters are, are, are all over the city of Houston and in other parts of the country. We're dealing with a lot. And it's easy to forget uh, when we're going through all of these worry and anxiety. It's easy to forget that there's still a battle that we're fighting every single day on the spiritual realm. I pray today that you will open our eyes uh, to that struggle and that you will help us to cling to you more than ever before. Uh, that you'll help us to choose you over everything else, to choose your peace over worry, to choose uh, trusting in you over taking everything on our own hands and, and uh, choose most of all uh, to serve our brothers and our sisters before um, ourselves. Um, I pray that you, during this time, you will help us also to read our Bibles, to pray more than ever before, to find ways to connect to you in deeper ways. Uh, please, Jesus, help us as we continue in this journey together. In your name we pray. Amen.